This is Michael Perman, and welcome to Say What? The innovation podcast about the future of everything. Each episode features innovation luminaries and the smartest people of our time. Welcome to Say What? I think innovation leaders crave time. They crave the time of their colleagues, but they also crave kind of time from the CEO and the executive leadership to, like, let this thing play out. Innovation is the ability to perceive alternative realities and the courage to move toward those visions. In essence, that requires the skill to see what's coming next and the tenacity to navigate the common obstacles innovation leaders face in the quest to help the organizations they work at grow and prosper. What knits them together is they're people who are responsible for imagining the future of their company and creating the future of their company, and it's really hard. Thankfully, innovation leaders have Scott Kirsner to provide a wealth of intelligence, connections, and professional experiences. He's the publisher and co-founder of Innovation Leader, the members-only consortium of the smartest innovators in the world. In today's episode, we'll hear the latest thinking on what makes innovation successful in complex organizations, a look back at Harvard's iconic innovator's dilemma, and what innovators crave in their professional lives. Welcome to Creating the Future. We're here with Scott Kirsner, a longtime innovation journalist and editor and co-founder of Innovation Leader. Innovation Leader is a community of information and resources for innovation leaders in large organizations who are trying to make a difference and create what's next. Hello, Scott. Hey, Michael. It's so fun to be on the line with you. I'm delighted that you're here. Can you give some perspective of where you are physically at the moment? <laughs> I'm, I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's where we're based in uh, I like to say we're one subway stop away from Harvard and one subway stop away from MIT. So there's a lot of innovators walking around the streets here. Cultural straddling. Yeah. Yes. Do you ever have the opportunity to do any drop-ins at MIT? Is there kind of a retail front there that you can drop in and see what's happening in the innovation world there? Well, you kind of have to know, a lot of it is not super visible, but you kind of have to know where to look. Um, You know, there's a fun pub called the Muddy Charles where all the researchers and students hang out, and it's a little hard to find, but that's one cool part of the campus. Um, We did an event there last fall at the MIT Media Lab where we brought together about 200 people for one of our um, gatherings, and the Media Lab is, is one place that you could go if you're ever in Cambridge and um, you know, you can kind of ride the elevators and walk the stairs, and a lot of the research labs have glass walls, so you can see them working on all kinds of interesting, you know, robots that build buildings and um, toys of the future and all kinds of cool stuff. So that's fascinating. Um, you know what would be helpful is if you could just give some familiarity for Innovation Leader for the people who are not already there. Um, what is it about Innovation Leader that you love, and what's your reason for being? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you were one of the first people that we met, really, when we were on this journey, starting this journey about five years ago in 2013. And the the 
you know, raison d'etre is like we want to be helpful to people who are in big companies and doing some kind of innovation work. And so, you know, for us, we're, we're sort of indifferent to title. You know, some of our, our members are in technology or marketing organizations or, you know, they may have strategy or R&D in their title, but what, what knits them together is they're people who are responsible for imagining the future of their company and creating the future of their company. And it's really hard. And as you know from, like, hard-won experience, a lot of organizations don't want anything to change. They just want to grow a little bit next quarter and, you know, do incremental improvements to their products. And so the, you know, the culture and the ethos of a lot of big companies is just about operation, not about innovation. And so, you know, we do some uh, throughout the course of the year, both small events with 12 people in a conference room and bigger events like the one I mentioned at MIT. Um, you know, we, we might have 200, 300 people in the same place. And then we also publish a lot of research reports and case studies and uh, do conference calls and webcasts and all that good stuff. But all, all around this idea of being helpful to people trying to innovate in big companies. And, and what would you say are the biggest challenges there? You're, the common challenges among innovation leaders and organizations, especially the ones where they tend to be more operationally focused? Well, I mean, every, the biggest challenge is, and tell me if you disagree with this, is that everybody says they want innovation, and innovation seems like a good thing, but then you actually ask them to, you know, give you an employee who can devote six months to working on a new idea or give you some budget uh, or give you some room to experiment, you know, even physical space. I need, you know, a 1,000 square feet for a lab, and then you start running into brick walls. So it's like mm-hmm. the desire yep. to innovate is almost never equal to the reality and resources that you're given to innovate, um, you know, and so that's what makes the job hard, don't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a great word, though. I mean, everyone, yeah. every CEO would love to have that word in their bailiwick so that when they're speaking with analysts or speaking to employees, they can say it. But I think it is true that for the people who are experts in innovation, they have a good grasp of what's required in terms of time, people, energy, resources, space. And somehow there's this incredulous moment that happens in in a fight. There's always this battle for resources on something that could have such a profound effect on growth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we did, it's funny, hearing you talk, um, we did a, a set of four playing cards where we tried to imagine um, the different CEO archetypes. And I think if you, um, if you Google CEO playing cards and innovation leader, you'll find them. Um, one of them is the, is the cheerleader CEO who is always saying the word innovation. And, you know, maybe they want to give a keynote address to the employees once a year at Innovation Day. Uh, but then they forget about it the other 364 days of the year, and they're not there, um, you know, making sure you have the resources and, and the people and the time and space to actually do innovation on a daily basis, which is what it, what it really takes. So a while ago, and I can't even remember when, but uh, at least a decade or so ago, uh, Clay Christensen came up with a concept called the Innovation Dilemma that guided a lot of work over the subsequent years. Can, and you've recently had an interview with him, three interviews with him. 
mm-hmm. or at least one interview with three parts. Can you give us a sense of you know, what was the original principle around the innovation dilemma and how has it evolved? Well, I think when he, you know, from 20 years ago or a little more than 20 years ago that the book came out, I think it was 1997 that the first edition of The Innovator's Dilemma came out. And uh, the initial concept was about startups uh, and new technologies disrupting established companies. And um, one example I really like because I love the movie industry is something like YouTube coming in and disrupting the media business and the movie business, right? YouTube is free which is much less expensive than cable television or a movie ticket. Um, And it was kind of low quality at first, right? It was people posting their vacation videos and maybe sitting up in front of their webcam and telling some jokes or giving you some tips about how to do your makeup, uh, you know, if you're a teenage girl. Um, And, you know, so what Clay would call that YouTube a low-end disruptor, and suddenly people were spending more and more time on YouTube and probably less and less time watching cable TV or going to the movies. Um, And while the media industry would have first looked at YouTube and said, that doesn't really seem like it's good quality and people aren't going to pay money for it, and how much time are people really going to spend watching somebody's makeup tips video and you know slowly youtube becomes a bigger force in the culture until you know today my son probably watches or i know for a fact my nine-year-old son watches more youtube over the course of the day than he does disney channel or um you know watching disney movies or fox or universal movies uh in the movie theater so that that's maybe one example of what clay would talk about the media industry kind of being blind to a disruptive technology like YouTube and uh, sort of user-generated videos, user-generated content. Do you think that Netflix and Amazon going into the content business would be considered disruptive, or is that more evolutionary? Yeah, I think of that as more. I'm, I'm not the you know the ultimate um, arbiter of what. Clay Christensen or, you know, or his, um, you know, his devotees would call the true disruptive innovation. But, uh, yeah, to me, that seems a little more evolutionary because, right, you pay for you pay um, a cable bill. And if you decide to cut the cord with cable and subscribe to Netflix, you have a bill that's a different price point and you're kind of getting a bundle of content like you used to get for cable um, some of these new subscription services like YouTube, and I think others offer live TV as an option. So um, I think mm-hmm. a lot of what's happening now with streaming is more of an evolution, but I would look at YouTube um, as being a pretty disruptive innovation. I think Netflix in the early days, maybe you would call that a little more of an evolution, right? Because it was just yeah. in the video store and putting that online and doing it through the mail versus through your local blockbuster. True, although it certainly caused a paradigm shift where instead of ABC, NBC, and CBS, you've got Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon as your content choices. Mm-hmm. But what, so what do you think is the 2018 version of the innovation dilemma, and is there an innovation leader's dilemma that has a unique perspective to it? Well, I think, I mean, not to co-opt the terminology at all, but, you know, I do think the dilemma today is, is the pace of change and dealing with um, the pace, not just of startups, 
but of really good big companies like an Amazon or a Google or a Facebook, you know, companies that have this mentality of like continual product release, you know, where every day there's some new features being tested with a few users. And then if it succeeds with those first few Amazon users, then we're going to roll it out to 10,000 and then 100,000. But just that idea of um, testing stuff and releasing stuff on a daily basis and being really data-driven is something that most big companies just can't do today. And so mm-hmm. I think the dilemma is, are you going to get clobbered by somebody who thinks about product releases on a daily basis when you think about product releases as a yearly thing of, you know, we go to the Detroit Auto Show once a year in January, and that's when new products come out. You know, or we go to our industry trade show in Vegas once a year, and we need a new product for that. And I just think we're living in a world where the pace, the pace and this, you know, the, the pace at which consumer behaviors and preferences change is so much faster than it ever was before. And so that, that to me is a dilemma that I would highlight in 2018. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty challenging, keeping up. Things are moving pretty fast. In fact, I spoke with Singularity about that because they're mm-hmm. one of their beliefs on innovation and changing the world is that you focus on these truly disruptive, what they call exponential technologies, blockchain, cryptocurrency, DNA sequencing, things like that, artificial intelligence, that um, those are game-changing in by itself. And the speed of those evolutions, it's like a uh, rolling set of innovations happening all the time, not just a one-and-done. That's a lot to keep up with, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, and I think it's always felt like things are moving pretty fast, Um but a lot of organizations just still have this, um, you know, this internal clock that is about the quarter or about the year, you know. And so mm-hmm. how do you I think a lot of the, you know, the challenge for internal innovators, how do you make that clock tick on a daily basis or a weekly basis, you know, and let, and let you put stuff in front of customers, you know, uh, a week after you've thought of it or a month after you've thought of it rather than a year after you've thought of it. So speaking of the internal clock, what is the latest thinking among your membership regarding the internal resource, external resource ecosystem for incubation and acceleration of ideas and business models? What's the the right balance and what seems to be working and why? You mean in terms of like where they're where they're finding ideas or where they're, you know, how they're kind of incubating innovation? Hmm. Well, it, it could be both. I think that's one of the questions is the external ecosystem about discovering ideas and then mm-hmm. developing internally or because it's difficult for an innovation leader to get resources internally to develop and bring the market. Is there mm-hmm. uh, a movement toward that happening uh, more externally? Yeah, I mean, there has been, you know, the whole accelerator movement and the uh, you know, big companies having a presence in co-working spaces to be closer to startups. There's startups. There's been a lot of that activity. You know, obviously visiting universities and funding research at universities and trying to license new ideas at universities has been is an idea that's been around for a while. I mean, I think what's what's changing now is that I think there are a lot of big companies where they've tried to. Um, sort of uh, scout or develop a radar for interesting stuff in the startup world. And, 
you know, a lot of times it can be just a frustrating relationship that they don't get a lot out of, you know, whether they're running their own accelerator program for startups or just going to a lot of events like South by Southwest or Techstars demo days or whatever, and looking for interesting startups. And they just have discovered that, man, a lot of startups may be doing something that seems relevant to your company, but, you know, you can't get it together to, to provide them with funding and maybe have a stake in their success. And you also can't get it together to persuade them to like give you a, a tool or a product that you could use or somehow distribute. And so it's almost like there's just a, you know, they're, they're speaking, they're operating at different frequencies, um, hmm. you know, and, and I think uh, we've seen a lot of companies kind of start and then stop accelerators um, you know, or even innovation labs, like I'm thinking about the Target uh, Food in the Future Innovation Lab that they had mm-hmm. here in Cambridge uh, for 18 months or, or two years and bringing in entrepreneurs with food-related ideas and trying to provide support. Um, but a lot of stuff in the startup world just looks too raw and um, rough-edged for big companies mm-hmm. to imagine ever, you know, using it internally or distributing it, depending on what it is. Um, and I think we also have just seen a lot of, you know, we've seen a lot of setting up innovation groups away from headquarters to try to get some distance and mm-hmm. freedom to operate. And I think sometimes that just doesn't work. You know, it's very easy to set up a lab in Silicon Valley, and it's very hard to create the right kind of connectivity between that lab and the mothership and make sure that, you know, you're working on stuff and looking for stuff that's relevant to the mothership. Um, and we have seen, I guess, conversely, the stuff that works is like innovation groups, you know, that are at headquarters and have really close, you know, connectivity to the executive team. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the executive team has to have a belief in what they're doing and that it's important and, and giving them the time to do what they, um, you know, what they're tasked with doing. But that, that far away uh, lab thing can be hard to sustain over time, even though you might be in an ecosystem where you're, you're meeting lots of interesting people and seeing lots of cool ideas and, you know, tracking disruptive stuff that's going to be relevant to your company. Um, you know, Xerox Park is obviously the canonical example of a lab that still exists today and has somehow survived over the decades. But, you know, I think people would probably question, you know, uh, has it really helped Xerox you know, become a become a major force in the in the business economy and the innovation economy? I'm not totally sure about that. Now, it sounds like the perfect model is still imperfect, and it it also sounds like the answer to the question really depends on which organization that you're working with and the tolerance for external thinking and the tolerance uh, for the connectivity with the business. So that the the model really needs to be fit. You can look at best practices, but you really have to make a decision on your own culture. Is that well, yeah, and I think I think that imperfection, everything should start out imperfect, um, but it gets a little more perfect the longer you do it and the more time you invest in it. And, you know, I think there are a lot of forces that are creating an imperative for organizations to innovate and, you know, to make that really concrete. Like sometimes innovation is bringing in new talent and being 
better at recruiting the people that you're going to need for the future. And sometimes it is rethinking your stores or rethinking your products or rethinking your business model. But I think there are a lot of imperatives. I think, unfortunately, most companies don't aren't given enough time or don't have a long enough attention span to get that imperfect model to be more perfect and eventually maybe near perfect or at least, um, you know, at least seen as productive and worthwhile. You know, like one example we talk about a lot because they're based here in Boston. They've had an innovation last, you know, for 10, 15-ish years is Fidelity Investment. And Mm -hmm. it's a privately held company, which is, which is beneficial, you know, that they're not answering to analysts or to activist investors. But, you know, just that, that time frame of having more than a decade to figure out, like, what are the methodologies that are going to work in our culture? And what are the different types of people who should staff this lab? And, you know, how do we make sure after a decade, you know, lots of people in the company know what you do, what you do, and they've participated in it, and they've seen the results. And, you know, that's kind of what it takes, right? You can't, you know, if you're in a 30,000 person company, you can't spend 18 months and, and at the end of it say, gee, not enough people have benefited from this or not enough people have participated in this. Like some of these labs and initiatives are go away in the blink of an eye and, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't get anywhere close to perfect in 18 months. <laughs> but um, what have you learned about innovation culture? Do you believe that entire innovation, entire organizations need to have a culture of innovation or is it more important that a core group has deep skills and expertise to make innovation move through the system? I don't know. I guess I would give you a permanent answer and say it's both, you know, it's a both Mm -hmm. and, Um, you know, I think that, in most companies, well, like one model that I've been thinking about lately is that, you know, maybe you talk about three different types of innovation and most innovation models, you know, the three box model or the McKinsey three horizon model have this idea of there being kind of, you know, call it incremental improvements or, you know, call it near-term, medium-term and long-term innovation with near-term being Mm -hmm. something that like is a process improvement you could implement tomorrow and long-term being, you know, um, we're in the coffee business today, but, you know, in the future, um, we want to be in the packaged meal business, you know, packaged meal kits or something, or we want to have a mm-hmm. more subscription-based business model. Um, and, you know, I almost think, could you, could you tell every, you know, could you train everybody in the company on how to participate in one of those, you know, in one of those three boxes? You know, maybe maybe because you're a frontline customer service or frontline salesperson, it makes more sense for you to be trained and to participate in that near-term innovation. And, you know, maybe you're an R&D person or you're a um, strategy person who really does think more long-term. And so what are the ways we train you and get you to participate in that box three longer-term innovation? Um, and that there probably is some central coordinating group that is really skilled at um, you know, maybe doing the training and then maybe also kind of operating the radar screen for those, you know, for the longer term stuff or for the midterm mm-hmm. and longer term stuff. And, you know, that's, that's one way, you know, that's kind of one model that I've been thinking about when people say, 
what is the right answer when really the, the reality is there is no one right answer. It's kind of the right answer for your organization. But, you know, that's something well, I appreciate that, I that you um, I appreciate that you called that permanesque. Yeah. And I think that, you know, because it was the both and answer, you know, it's like there probably yes. doesn't be a central group that is, you know, the trainers or the cheerleaders or the radar operators or the, you know, the conveners who bring people together in a, design thinking, you know, experimentation state, um, you know, kind of place. Um, or even they're just the kind of, they're the metrics people and they are, you know, measuring and monitoring, like, what is the impact that these three, you know, that we're having in these three different boxes. Yeah, I do like the way you frame that. One of my favorite books about innovation is The Ten Bases of Innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh and so what I think is beautiful about that book is that it breaks down different personas in the innovation ecosystem internally. And not mm-hmm. everyone can do everything because of your Myers-Briggs or because of the type of position you have or who you are. Some people are just really good at operating, the operational aspect of innovation. Some are really good at going through hurdles. Uh, mm-hmm. Some are good at the creative side. Some are good at storytelling. So there's there's definitely an internal ecosystem of different types of personality and skills that matter. I think what happens in organizations often is they feel like everyone should do everything. You know, everyone mm-hmm. should have you know, all of these skills, and, and then that sets them up for failure and mm-hmm. makes it frustrating for an innovation leader. So based on all of the, what you just expressed about what an innovation leader goes through, what does an innovation leader? I think innovation leaders crave time. You know, they crave both people's time in the organization to do the stuff we were just talking about. Like, give me, you know, give me one hour a week, you know, to participate uh, in some training or to participate in some ideation or some testing that we're doing um, or help us connect with a customer. So they crave the time of their colleagues, but they also crave kind of time from the CEO and the executive leadership to like, let this thing play out, you know? Mm -hmm. And to me, like the clock has to be five years at least, you know, to say, we're going to evolve this thing over five years. And, you know, in your terms go from imperfect to, a little bit more perfect to maybe near perfect. And, you know, let's, let's measure what we're doing at the end of year one and year two and year three, but that it needs to be a commitment of five years to say nothing, you know, nothing good is going to have an impact in less time than that. Um, you know, and, and realizing that you're going to pivot and you're going to evolve it, but that, you know, you're, <laughs> the innovation teams <laughs> crave, you know, crave time. Well, yes, or it's not necessarily that nothing good is going to happen. It's that the definition of what good is is going to be different as a metric than a lot of other aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. What we found when I was at Gap and we did benchmarking on this is that the, the, the metric, especially for the chief financial officer, of the progress that's being made over that five-year period, that metric has to be different than the typical quarterly report metric that they're getting from 
the merchandising group or from Mm -hmm. the way that they think of their capital expenditures and the ROI that they get on capital. And that's, that's been one of the challenges is how do you establish those innovation metrics? Yeah. And I think maybe the better way to say it is like nothing significant is going to happen in a year or two. You know, you can have some experiments, you can talk about how many people you've trained and how many uh, startups you've met with, but real, you know, real metrics that the business will respect and uh, appreciate, you know, I think they start happening in that three to five year time frame, you know, and so give people some room to run. Yeah. Um, so this has been super interesting. And I have um, just a couple more questions before we wrap up. Uh, one is, what is the future of innovation? What do you think is going to happen next? What is the future of innovation? I mean, I think it's going to be, for most companies, more about building innovation systems rather than thinking about, hey, we're just trying to train our employees on skills or we're just trying to run idea challenges. And when I think about innovation systems, it's like, hey, we have customers who have interesting ideas and pain points. We have suppliers who may have new technologies that they want us to pay attention to. And, yeah, there's probably startups that want to work with us and we don't do a good enough job. You know, we're not um, permeable enough for them to work with today. and We don't have um, processes where we can work with startups without frustrating them. So kind of creating that more of that ecosystem of it's not just us as the big company in our glassy tower or our big corporate campus that's going to come up with all the good ideas in an insulated way and bring them to market on our time frame, like we're going to leverage this, this innovation system that involves customers and suppliers and business partners and startups potentially, um, you know, to, to have more good ideas and test more things and ideally, you know, become a more vibrant and relevant company. Uh, you know, the um, term that someone mentioned to me, a year or two ago, is this, uh, this idea of the permanently failing organization. And it, like, <laughs> it, it's an academic term that kind of describes these big companies and like, they know that they're not, they're not getting more relevant. They're probably getting less relevant, and both to customers and to prospective employees. And so I think a lot of that irrelevance comes from just being really insular and really hard to work with and kind of looking at yourself as a vertically integrated, we don't need anybody else kind of organization. Yeah. And well, that, that would definitely be a recipe for permanently failing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need any, anyone else's ideas. Yeah. Uh, ways to avoid that, though, fortunately, with you and your team at Innovation Leader and the wealth of resources that you provide, um, do you have anything you'd like to say about events coming up or directions on how people can get a hold of your organization and join? Yeah, well, I mean, the basic thing is we're at innovationleader.com. We're doing, you know, more and more events around the country. Um, You know, this year we're going to be in San Francisco and Chicago and New York and Cleveland. We're doing our first Ohio event this year and and, uh, a big fall event in Boston. But all that is on the website, and we do an email newsletter that keeps people up to date. But the other thing, you know, for your listeners is we love to just hear what people, the challenges they're grappling with. Um, We often love to write case studies about successes and 
new approaches um, to innovation. And so my email address is scott at innovationleader.com. People can ping me. I just, I love hearing what, you know, what people are doing, um, what ideas they're, uh, you know, they're hearing in their organization. And so we also, you know, we also try to do a lot of question answering as part of what we do where, you know, we might take an anonymous question uh, about something really specific, like, how do you budget for the launch of innovation an innovation program and then just kind of source anonymous answers to it from our community. Excellent. And do you have a, a Twitter handle you want to release as well? We are at InnoLead on Twitter and Instagram. We're on LinkedIn too. So we're trying to be supremely social, I guess you would say. Okay. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. That's been a pleasure. A lot of new ideas came out. We've been with Scott Kirstner, who's the editor and co-founder at Innovation Leader. Um, yeah, and all the great thanks. questions, Michael. I've had a great time. Good. I'm glad. Okay. That's a wrap.